0: Thank you, Rosie. Let's keep that open, shall we? We'll have a look at that amazing story together tonight on this Mothering Sunday. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you that uh, as you um, sent Elijah um, to bring your blessing, to bring your words, your promises um, to that woman and her son, thank you that you've sent your son Jesus to bring us your words and your blessing and your power at work in him. We pray that we, like her, may have hearts and ears that are open to listening and responding and trusting in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder what um, values your parents, your mum perhaps, uh, have given you as, as you grew up. Um, I'm sure amongst us all tonight there will be lots of really, really healthy, good things there, wouldn't there? Values about how important friends are or how important families are or how important serving others is in life. Um, I suspect amongst us there would be probably a little bit of, you know, some of the values weren't quite so healthy. Maybe not um, overtly, but without meaning it, dad or mum made me kind of feel that it was all about the exam results or um, all about the status or the money I'd make in my career, whatever it might be. Uh, maybe some of us didn't always feel completely loved by one or both of our parents. And so As we think about um, Mothering Sunday and mothering, uh, I'm sure a number of us here would say, well, actually, one of the big things that my mother passed on to me was how important faith is, how important Jesus is. It may not, again, be true for us all, but some of us, I'm sure, that's, that's a gift our mothers gave us. Um, and the background to this story um, about this woman is a background all to do with faith. And... Her story is one of someone who discovers faith in the living God, apparently for the first time. Um, And I just want tonight to look at this incredible story. She's a remarkable woman, um, and she's got a tremendous example for us of what faith looks like and how to respond to God's invitation to trust him when it comes. Now, behind this story in, in 1 Kings, the kind of big picture is that God's people uh, in this place called Israel uh, are ruled over by a king nowadays. And the king at this time is some called Ahab. He was not a good king in history, and, and the Kings, book of Kings tells us. And his wife Jezebel was famously pretty wicked too. And she came, she was, kind of came from abroad, she was a foreign wife. She came from a place northwest of Israel, uh, Phoenicia, where the Lord of Israel, uh, he's called Yahweh in the Bible, the Lord, is not worshipped, rather someone called Baal was worshipped. Baal was one of the kind of chief pagan gods. And Baal's kind of girlfriend was Ashterah, But Between them, um, they were seen as the kind of the source of success and of security and of life and of fertility and so on. And, and that was the, the background because through this marriage to Jezebel, ba- Baal was now being worshipped in Israel as well. Ahab began to adopt the customs, the faith of his wife, and to bring it into Israel. And the Lord responds to this in one Kings, by sending the prophet Elijah. And chapter 17 is where Elijah appears. And it was this kind of cosmic battles going on? You've got these two rivals for our loyalty and a love in life. There's, on the one hand, the Lord, the God of Israel. Who's been always been faithful to them, and then you've got this other god Baal, who is claiming to be the one to put your trust in, the one who can give you security and success and reign and therefore prosperity and crops. And it's a kind of clash of the titans, going to be like the rugby yesterday. You have these kind of a massive English forward charging into a massive French forward, and which one of them is going to kind of knock the other one down? That's what's going on. The Lord and Baal. Who's really God? And Elijah, his name is a clue as to which side he's on here. His name, Elijah, simply means, the Lord is my God. I've made my choice. The Lord is my God. And as the the story begins, Elijah, um, despite being God's prophet, is actually not in a great position himself. What God has done in response to Israel turning away from him, he has sent a drought. Elijah announced that. If you've you got the Bible reading open, verse 1. Elijah announces that the Lord is going to send a drought to Israel. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain. That's a thorough drought. Isn't it? No dew, no rain for the next few years, except at His, at the Lord's word. So it's as if God is saying, you know, you're wondering, aren't you, which is more powerful, me or Baal? Baal was thought to be the God who sends rain and fertility. And as if to say, well, let me just demonstrate this one. God turns off the taps of heaven. No rain, no dew, for years. Now he's, he's cutting the ground from under Baal's claims, isn't he? This false God. Um, it's almost like you know, Baal's prestige is, is shrinking as the cracks in the Israelite fields are widening in the drought. It's more and more clear that God really is the Lord. And Elijah is sent off, first of all, um, to go and find some food and some water, outside Israel, east of the Jordan, a place called the Kerith Ravine. And there, it's slightly bizarre, he's fed by ravens, dropping food to him. And ravens were famous like today. They're they're scavengers. And they were unclean in the Bible. You weren't meant to go near ravens because they picked up roadkill, as we call it. So here is Elijah, God's prophet, righteous man, eating unclean food, roadkill, um, and drinking water from a a muddy old brook. And then that dries up too. And we get to our story, verse 7. The brook, brook dries up, and the Lord then says, I want you to go somewhere new now. And he sends him off to this place, Zaraphath. Now, Zaraphath is is northwest of Israel, and it's slap in the middle of Jezebel territory. It's Phoenicia, Sidon, Tyre. That's Phoenicia on the coast. That's her land. So, this widow that Elijah sent to, um, she's doubly just not the person or the place we'd have expected. Widows and um, particularly back, back in those days, widows were poor, poor, poor. The poorest of the poor. They had no way of sustaining themselves. And we see in the story, she's there as he meets her, and she's, she's trying to scratch two sticks together to cook her last bit of flour before she dies. That's how poor she is. And Elijah's sent to ask her to look after him. Extraordinary. And then look at where she is. She's in Zarephath. She's a foreigner, um, she's she's one of you know, Jezebel's tribe, and she's in this land that were known as the place where Baal and his kind of worship come from. This is pagan land. We might call Zaraphath. You no, know, it's it's Wickedsville. It's bad, bad place. Not we expect God to send His prophet to speak God's words or to have them received, and yet here he is in Zaraphath at the widow's house. And he goes up to her and he asks her for water. And, you know, wonderfully, she's probably got very little left herself, but she agrees. And then he ups the ante, doesn't he? Just see what he does. Verse 11. And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As we heard in the reading, she balks at that. She says, no way. Um, And she's got a very good reason for saying that, actually. Because she's saying... All I've got is, I've just got a little bit of flour left and a little bit of oil. I was literally, as you were right, I was just going off to bake our last cake for me and my son and then die. That's a powerful moment, isn't it? She is literally at her wit's end and her life's end. And so Elijah replies, rather than saying, oh, that's fine, you're quite right, you go and do that, he says, don't be afraid. That's always what God says in the Bible when He's got a kind of big challenge for you coming up. Don't be afraid. And he explains why not to be afraid in verse 14. For this is what the Lord says. So here's the word of the Lord coming. The jar of flour will not be used up. That that spoonful of flour won't be used up. And and that little teaspoon of oil, that won't be used up either until the day the Lord sends rain again. That's God's extraordinary promise. Um, And this is the first thing we're learning about the way that God works, and what she's learning about faith, that this is a God who does unexpected things. Faith is in the God of the unexpected. That's our first point, really, tonight, if you're taking notes. Faith is in the God of the unexpected. He sends Elijah to an unexpected person, an unexpected place, and he gives her a completely unexpected instruction, promise. That little bit of flour, that little bit of oil, will not run dry until the rain comes again. And what does she do? Well, incredibly, this foreign, pagan-raised woman, widow, with her son, she trusts Elijah's words. And again, it's, it's very simple. It just says, she did as Elijah said. We don't know why, except God somehow prompted her to have faith that this was the word from him, and she could trust it. So she goes off, um, she bakes that last cake... You can imagine that, that night they're kind of sitting down thinking, "Well, you know well, that was good, a little bit little bite each. Now what? Is this, is this going to work? And you can imagine they go to bed, um, They probably don't sleep very well. They wake the next morning thinking, "We're just going to starve today." And she rushes downstairs and she checks that jar, and she checks that jug. And, hey, presto, God's miraculously multiplied that flower, and it's there again. And the oil, it's there again. And every day, the same thing's repeated. The jar looks about to run out, the jug seems almost empty, and the next morning, there's just enough there again. And she has this extraordinary faith, this, this kind of ritual, you might call it, of the jar and the jug every day. Just a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. She comes back next day, a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. What God doesn't do, do you notice this? He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a thousand tons of flour and a thousand liters of oil, and you're going to be fine for the next five years. And the rain's bound to come in that time. Um, it would be so much easier, wouldn't it, for her, if he had done that. But God doesn't make faith easy. He almost always does this. He, he says, I want you to trust me each day with just the little things. That prayer of Jesus. Lord, give us every day, each day, our daily bread. Um, That's the prayer of faith. But it's a harder prayer, isn't it, than the Lord, just let me win the lottery. And if you win the lottery, faith is actually then in some ways easier, isn't it, than having to trust the Lord for the little things every day. But that's what faith is in the God of the unexpected. Um, So what do we learn from her so far? Well, she's taught us, hasn't she, that, you don't always find faith where you expect to find it, amongst the religious people. It was meant to be Ahab and his priests and the, the people of Israel that trusted the Lord, and they turned aside. But God doesn't just give up. He then says, okay, well, if you were not I'm going to go to someone that will with my words. So he goes to unexpected people, and um, isn't that an amazing thing? If you're here tonight... Maybe you've not been around church very much. Maybe you're finding your way. You've never heard much about Jesus, perhaps. Um, or you just kind of feel a long way away. Well, God's grace is wide enough, isn't it? To reach beyond the boundary of Israel, right into the territory of the idols of the world, of Baal and his other gods, and to touch the life of this woman. He can do the same for us today. God's grace is wide enough. Why not, if that's you, pick up a gospel. We've got some Luke's Gospels at the back there. We'd love you to take one with our conference tonight and just go home and read that and ask Jesus to show himself to you in the way that he did to this woman. I think the other thing is, just going back to the flour and the oil here, um, God's unexpected little miracle here. Faith is so often not simply hearing and trusting, but then doing in response. Faith is hearing and doing in response. Elijah says, um, go, bake that bread, God will look after you, and she trusts and she does. And it could be for us today, it may not be we're experiencing a kind of a drought of water or a drought of flour, but may, you know, maybe a drought of, um, of relationships, of encouragements, maybe a financial drought for some of us. Well, if, if that's our situation like her, and we're in, in this, this perplexity, this crisis, God is saying, isn't he, Just keep trusting in the little things. Keep your prayer life going. Keep opening the scriptures. Keep turning up on a Sunday. Um, Keep reaching out to your friends. Keep serving others. Because one day the rains will come again, if you trust me. So faith is trusting in the God of the unexpected. Here's the second big heading, um, and the second half of this story. Faith is also trusting in the God who does the impossible. That's from verse 17 onwards. Here's this very dramatic way the story develops. Um, every day she goes down, she finds the flour, she makes the cake and so on. She's thinking, this is, this is amazing. And it's really rather wonderful having a prophet living in the house. Um, no more problems. We're always going to have food. And not, not loads, but we've got enough. And she's kind of singing the songs. You know, oh God, you, you provide for me how great thou art and so on. Um, and then she comes down one morning and her son is profoundly ill. Um, The the, the kind of text here, uh, it it says um, he has stopped breathing. Um, And it could be he's actually died. It could be that he's just absolutely at death's door, you know, mortally sick. It's not absolutely clear in the text. Um, My hunch is, because Elijah talks about his life coming back, that he's actually dying and and just about to die. Uh, And then he dies. It doesn't really matter, because in the Hebrew mind, you know, uh, being mortally ill and being dead uh, was, was all really part of the same thing. Um, your life is leaving you, and it's beyond human rescue, beyond anything we can do. So here's this, this hopeless situation suddenly that she wakes to. Um, and she reacts, doesn't she, understandably by being angry with Elijah. You know, verse 18. Um, why have you come here? Have you come here just to remind me of my sins? Is, is what you're now doing a judgment on me? And all along you've been planning this. You're going to take my son away. And that's probably that's not great theology. Um, the Bible very rarely hints that there's any great link between particular things we've done and particular bad things that happen to us. If anything, the opposite. Um, but it's a real question, isn't it? What is going on here? If God has shown that unlike the other gods, unlike anything else we put our trust in in life, he can sustain life. He sends rain, he sends food. Could it be he also wills to take life sometimes, apparently at random? Elijah feels the same question. He prays, if you look at um, verse 20, his question there, you know, Lord, are you really bringing tragedy on this widow causing her son to die this is the mystery isn't it this passage doesn't really answer this one fully what is going on between these two truths God is loving um, and God is sovereign over life and death so in some way God's in all of this but it's not clear how is it here and Elijah knows that he expresses that mystery Now, if you read the New Testament, Elijah is described in James chapter 5 as a righteous man whose prayer is powerful and effective. And he says, in that way, he's like us. He's just a human being, but because he's righteous, God hears his prayers. And that word righteous, it's talking about Elijah. He is someone who, he is walking with God so closely that he understands God's mind and God's will in an unusually clear way and that's i'm sure why when he sees this child dying or perhaps dead um, that's not the end and he lies down on him he does it three times a kind of symbolic action probably way of saying may the life that i have also be his may he come alive again and then he prays verse 21 lord my god and he cries out let this boy's life return to him He puts himself into this, doesn't he? He lays himself on him. He prays for him. Now, to this point in Elijah's story, um, we've seen a few times that Elijah heard what God said and obeyed. But here, that is reversed, amazingly, isn't it? Can you see what happens? Verse um, 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returns. The prayer of a a righteous man like Elijah is powerful. The Lord hears his cry. And here is God, we've seen. He can do the unexpected. He gives food to um, a, a poor foreign woman in great need. But he also does the impossible. He doesn't just grant food, he raises the dead as well. And this remarkable foreign woman responds in faith. You see what she's learnt, can't you, from experiencing this sign in front of her, watching what's happening. She says, Now I know, verse uh, 24, that you're a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. That's what faith is. Faith is not primarily a feeling. It's not even simply hearing what God says and, and believing it intellectually. It's responding by saying, I'm going to trust this word. This is the truth. Now, we don't know, do we, why uh, not every child that's sick or terminally ill or or that dies and is prayed for is not raised in the same way. And there's certainly a, a rarity, a uniqueness almost about this story. But the story certainly urges us to put our trust, like the woman did, in the God who can do the impossible, who can raise the dead. And we know, actually, that this raising of the son of this widow is a rare miracle in the Bible, but it's not the only one. For instance, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus raises the son of another widow at a place called Nain from death. As if those miracles are signs of God that can do the impossible, pointing towards how God one day would raise his own son from death in resurrection at Easter. Not just resuscitating Um, someone that's dying or died, but raising his his son to eternal life in glory. So Billy Graham spoke at President Nixon's funeral, and as he came to the end of his address, he said this, there comes a time when we have to realize that life is short, and in the end, the only thing that really counts is not how others see us here, but how God sees us, and what the record books of heaven have to say. For the believer who's been to the cross, death is no frightful leap into the dark, but is an entrance into a glorious new life. The brutal fact of death has been conquered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what this story is ultimately pointing us to. The sign that assures us that God can do the impossible and raise the dead. So as I kind of draw this to a conclusion now, here's one that this helps us with tonight. God can reach over boundaries that nothing else and no one else can reach over, even the boundary of death. So in the ancient world, Baal was thought, thought to have power over the seasons and the rain, but no one believed Baal could reach over into the grave and bring someone back to new life. In fact, Baal was seen as weaker than death. But God can, and He does every time we hold a funeral of a believer in a church we are celebrating we're marking the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope the confidence that that has given us every time we speak of the risen Christ um, that message it reassures us when we're unsteady and it challenges us if we are as yet unbelieving so if that's you keep searching and stand firm on the God that does the impossible. Uh, Lastly, really, um, you and I may not feel we're righteous like Elijah. He's a very unusual, very godly, prophetic character in the Bible. But in faith, we are promised that through connection to Christ and his life, our prayers are heard, our cries are heard. So I wonder who you and I could pray for that God would raise them to new life both in this life and in eternity. We mentioned last week, amongst our vision themes, is the, the thing of praying for five in our families and our friendships. It could be uh, you've got friends at university you could pray for, friends at school, in your family perhaps, at work. Let's be praying that as God gives opportunity, we'll be able to point them to Jesus. Let's be praying that they'll realize their need of new life in Christ and, of course, of eternal resurrection in Christ the end of the, book, the Bible Revelation chapter 1 Jesus reveals himself there to the Apostle John in this vision and this is how Jesus describes himself he says I am the one who was dead and is alive I am the living one that's how the woman describes God in our passage, the living God I am the living one who was dead and is alive, I hold the keys of death and Hades. He holds these keys. They're his. He has the right to open that door. And so Jesus' words, through Elijah, through the scriptures, to us today, his words are life to us. His words, his grace, reach us, whoever we are, and his power can transform us and make us newly alive in Christ wherever we are. Because not even death can place Jesus' people beyond his grip. Or beyond the sound of his voice. Or out of the reach and the touch of his power. Let's be still for a moment now and I'll lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you reach graciously to all of us. However far from you we may be or feel. Thank you that you reach us with your promises of providing, protecting, forgiving, rescuing and raising to new life. Help us to receive your words tonight with open ears and hearts. Help us to recognize other gods in our lives that try to take our love and attention. And help us to trust in you alone. And help us to bring your words and your love and your promises to all those to whom you send us with the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.